Hey guys, we're so excited to share this message with you on the Center Set podcast. My name is Ethan and I lead worship here at Center Set. We'd love for you to download our app so that you can keep up with all that is happening in our community. Text Center Set to 77977 to download. If you don't know how to pray, it's a prayer remix. That's what the title of this journal is about. You're praying other people's prayers when you don't know what to pray. And the reason why we do that is because every year God gives us a fresh vision, a fresh word for our church. Last year the word was the promise still stands. And in the middle of COVID when we couldn't gather for 60 weeks, crazy, God gave us a word that church is not going to die. It's going to keep growing. The promise still stands. But it's not just a corporate word, it's an individual word. The promise still stands over your marriage, over your calling, over your family, over your career. It was not just a corporate word but an individual one. But God gave us a new word this year. I cannot wait. God gave me a sermon a year ago. I can't wait to preach it next week. I'm pumped, man. It's going to be fun. And what we do, we, to prepare ourselves, we do this thing called a Vision Builders Gala. It's the night before Vision Sunday. You're getting a $150 dinner for 50 bucks. Who's paying the rest? We are. You're welcome. We got 18 tickets left. Come join us. Uh, but today we are in a collection of talks called The Bible is My. And every week we're talking about if the Bible is true, what does it change? The week one, we talked about if the Bible is true, it is my foundation. It changes everything. That the Bible, if it's true, you can't just be around. You've got to build your life on it. I brought cinder blocks, and we built our life around the Word of God. And week two, we talked about if the Bible is true, it's going to cut you. Not with a psycho trying to, with a knife trying to kill you, but he's a surgeon with a scalpel trying to save you. And then in week three, I brought boxing gloves, you remember? And we talked about how if the Bible is true, you have a real enemy. Sometimes you've got to... Hit them back. There's spiritual warfare. And then last week, we talked about if the Bible is true, it's going to give you direction. It's not a, it's not a, a magic eight ball. Do I go this way or that way? No, no, no. It doesn't, give you, doesn't lead you by sight. It leads you by insight. If the Bible is true, it's my compass. And today, oh my goodness, I got a good word. I just got to warn you, I'm going to preach a long time today. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay, I'll let you know that this sermon is for me primarily. I hope it blesses you. This is a sermon I've been preaching myself for three years. And I, I believe if you receive what this word has, it's going to change your life. Because the word of God is active and living. It's going to change you. Amen? Amen. Let me pray because i got a good word. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you're alive and active. God, we believe that the word of God, illuminated by the spirit of God, is enough, Lord, to produce the people of God. We came in one way, God. We want to leave another. And if everybody said, Amen. everybody said, Amen. I want to start with an awkward statement, but it's going to make sense in a minute. Have you ever noticed that your eyeballs are in your head? Where are we going, Pastor Ali? Have you ever noticed that they're inside your head? We are visual learners. Uh, every week I, for this collection of talks, I've been bringing illustrations. I'm like, oh my gosh, Pastor, you love us. You always help us understand. I'm like, no, no, these are for me. <laughs> these are for you. I need the illustrations to understand God's word. And uh, statistics say that 65% of Americans are visual learners. That you don't understand something when you read it. You understand it when you see it. And uh, what's crazy is that in the past that you would need a, a teacher or a professor to teach you or maybe you got a library card. Or, mm, mm, but, but today there's an institution that has given all those things a run for their money. And that institution is called YouTube. Come on. Anybody grateful for YouTube today? If I didn't have YouTube, I would not know how to turn on my water heater because my two-year-old turned it off. If I, didn't, if I didn't have YouTube, I would never learn how to turn my back seat up again. I was just telling my wife, it's broken, honey. It's not going to ever come up again. But YouTube helped me. Because I wouldn't know what to do unless YouTube showed me. And sometimes we don't understand things until we see it. We can read about it. We can talk about it. But imagine if you had to explain something over the phone. Sometimes it's not enough to explain it. You've got to see it to understand it. Imagine if I tried to explain to you what a skyscraper is and you never saw one. I tried to tell you it's the tallest building you ever saw. 
just taller than that one. You would not understand until you stood underneath the Sears Tower in Chicago and looked up and said, oh, that's a skyscraper. You would not understand what Half Dome is in Yosemite. It's the highest mountain in Yosemite. And the top of the mountain is this big rock that looks like a dome. It's actually half a dome. That's why they call it Half Dome. And what's crazy is you can't actually hike it up. You gotta walk up with ropes and you will not understand how crazy that hike is unless you see it with your own eyes. Imagine if I tried to explain to you what a kangaroo is. Let me try to explain it. It's a rat <laughs> the size of a dog, okay? But it doesn't walk on all fours. It walks on two, actually hops. And it doesn't have rat ears. It has bunny rabbit ears. And it doesn't have the nose of a rodent. It has the nose of a puppy or a kitten. It's wet on. And it has a pouch that holds stuff in. And you'd be like, Pastor Ali, that's an alien. <laughs> no, but unless you saw what a kangaroo was, then you know what a kangaroo is. And that's my point, that we are visual learners and we can see everything and everyone except for one thing and someone. You cannot see yourself because your eyeballs are inside your head. That you can see everything and learn about everything. That's why you're the last person to appreciate you. Because you're the last person to see you. Because you don't understand you. That's why you're on Instagram looking at everyone else's feed, going, oh my gosh, God, look at the way God's looking in their life. But you have forgotten the way that God's working in your life. And so often, we don't realize that our eyeballs are inside our head. We can see everything and everyone except for us. And that's why God invented the mirror. Amen for the mirror, amen. And the mirror will tell me, ooh, muy guapo, come on now. Dame tu numero. Come on now. I'm married. Can't help you. But the mirror has a fault. It can't show you who you're going to become. It will not tell you your calling. It won't show you your character. Even the mirror is limited. But there's another reflection. There's another mirror that wants to tell you who, who you are created to be. And that's my title of today's sermon. The Bible is my reflection. Somebody shout Reflection. If the Bible is true, then what it says about you is true too. That's my talk today. That's my talk today. Let me go to, with me to Judges chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. It's on the screen. When you see it, somebody shout amen. amen. The angel of the Lord. Every time your Bible says the angel of the Lord, let me tell you right now, a little Bible study, that is Jesus. The angel of the Lord is God himself. But before he became a man, he would sh show up as a Christophany. He would show up as an angel, or, or, or it's a picture of Jesus before he became the bodily Jesus. So this is Jesus. Let me read it. Jesus came and sat down under the oak of Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abazarite, where the son of Gideon. Somebody shout Gideon. Gideon. If you're new here, we are a loud church. Come on. This tribe has a vibe. Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord, which again is God, appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you. Mighty warrior. Somebody shout mighty warrior. mighty warrior. And that is the contradiction. Because Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press, which is basically a hole in the ground. So a wine press is where you crush grapes and you make wine. A threshing floor, though, is on, usually on high ground. If you ever take bushels of wheat, what you got to do is you got to smash them on the ground, and the shaft is separated from the wheat kernels where we make our bread. And often you use a fan to blow away the shaft, or the wind would do it away. So why is Gideon threshing wheat where there is no wind? Why is he making his job harder? Because he's a coward. Because he's afraid. Because the Midianites are actually God's enemies. They're God's bullies. And every time they see something they want, they take it. So that is the contradiction. God is saying, Gideon, you are a mighty warrior. And Gideon looks at himself and says, I'm mighty mouse. 
God says, you're mighty. And God, meeting, Gideon looks at himself and says, I'm a coward. I'm afraid. And isn't that the tension that many of us live at? God calls us here, but we don't feel it. We feel like we're down here. Watch what Gideon says, though. Gideon, Judges 6, verse 13. Pardon me, my Lord. Excuse moi. What you talking about, Willis? Pardon me, my Lord. But if the Lord is with us, and Gideon's about to ask a question that is the number two most asked question that Pastor Yaz and I get. The number one most asked question is, Pastor Yaz, should I go this way or that way? Should I date that boy or this boy? Should I go to this school or that school? Should I move to this city? Because they always, everyone wants to know what the will of God is. But the number two most asked question is, if God is with us, why did this happen? Why did, why did my mom die, Pastor Ali? Why did my husband lose his job? Why did my uncle get COVID and, and die? And I don't know. That's what Gideon's saying. But the Lord is with us. Why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? Where are the, the promises that God is the God who heals marriages, that breaks addiction, that can heal cancer, that can restore families? Where is that God? Gideon does not deny the existence of God. He just wonders where God is. And some of you, that's your dilemma. You're around church, but you're not in relationship with God. You don't deny his existence. You just wonder where he's at. That's what Gideon is saying. And, and, and look what God says. God is so good. God turned to him said, go in the strength you have and save Israel from the Midianites' hands. Am I not sending you? That is, a, that is weird. Because Gideon is like, bro. Where are you at, God? And God's like, bro, I'm right. Am I not the one sending you? I'm right here. Hello, McFly. Is that the tension we live in? That we'll be in church and we'll be singing with Ethan by the power of your spirit. God's here and we're worshiping and it's easy to worship God. It's easy to believe God in here. It's hard to believe God on Monday when your boss is yelling at you. It's hard to believe God when your kids are going crazy trying to get them ready for school. It's easy in here and that's the issue that Gideon is having. And then look what Gideon says to him. Pardon me, my Lord. That's twice he's saying, excuse moi. Pardon me, my Lord. And this is the, the root of the dilemma. And this is where I'm hoping it will minister to you this morning. Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest. Someone say weakest in Manasseh. And I'm the least. Someone say least. Least in my family. So there are 12 tribes in Israel. Actually, there's 13. Joseph is one of the 12 brothers of, God describes himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. The, the last son is a dude named Joseph. He gives up his inheritance to his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. So there's actually 13 tribes. We're not going to go there. Just 12 for right now. Manasseh is the weakest of the 12 tribes. Of the clans in the tribe, Joash of Abazarite, that clan that Gideon is part of, is the weakest in Manasseh. And then in his own family, he is the runt of his own family. Listen, Gideon is not the runt of his family. He's the runt of a nation. He's the definition of weak sauce. Come on. And what he's really saying is, God, I, I believe that you're strong. I just don't believe that I am. I believe that you have power. I just don't believe that I have power. I believe you're mighty. I just don't believe that I am. I believe you can do it, God. I just don't believe that I can do it. I believe the promises of God are true and amen in Jesus for you. I, you, I just don't believe them for me. You don't know my story, God. You don't know how small I am. You don't know how weak I am. You don't know me. And that's the issue that most of us have, that God says that we're here, but we see ourselves down here. How do we change our identity? That's what, what the word of God is so powerful. It, if it's true, then what it says about you is true too. Look what God says to him. This is the conundrum in verse 16. It says, the Lord answered, I will be with you. 
If you're paying attention, that's the second time God said that. Gideon's like, bro, Gideon's like, bro, we already established you're with me. Why are you saying that? And God says, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. And what God is saying is, it's easy to believe the promises of God are true. You believe I'm powerful, you believe I'm strong, and he flips it. Because if it's true about me, then what it says about you is true. See, if you believe that I'm God, that the promises of God are true, that I, I rescued the Israelites out of Egypt, I, I delivered you from the Pharaoh's hand, I fed you with manna in the wilderness, I do miracles, then what it says about me is not just true, what it says about you is true. And the reason you don't believe that you're a mighty warrior, Gideon, is because you don't actually believe that I'm powerful. That's what he's saying. And the reason why you don't believe God says who you are, because you actually don't believe in God sometimes. You don't believe in his power. That's what God is saying. He's flipping it on him. Let me take you back to an imaginary story. Imagine it's 1978, and there's a 15-year-old kid, punk, who's playing basketball in high school, and he gets cut from his basketball, high school basketball team, and you get in your time machine. For this story where we're just inventing this idea, right? We get into our time machine, we go back, and we're going to convince this 15-year-old kid in high school not to quit basketball. We go up to him like, bro, you can't quit. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know you, you won't feel like giving up, but you can't quit. He's going to look at you and say, Why? I practiced all summer, all my friends made the team, but I didn't make the team. And you're going to look at him and say, because you are Michael Jordan. Because Michael Jordan, when he was 15, got cut from his high school basketball team. But because you came from the future and knew who he was, come on, you knew who he was, but he, because his eyeballs are in his head, he doesn't see who he is. And because... You and I don't have a time machine. We don't have Doc from Back to the Future with Michael J. Fox to let us go into the future to see who you are. Let me tell you, I have good news for you this morning. I know the one who invented time. I know the one who, who is, who's not just in the past, but who's in the present, who's in the future. He knows who you are, so he can come back and tell you who you are. That's the beauty. This is why it's so challenging sometimes for us to realize. It says this in Jeremiah 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God's the only one who knew you before the foundations of the earth. He's the only one in the past, the only one in the present, and the only one in the future. Because he exists outside of time. He's the only one who knows who you are. And when you know who you are, listen, you'll know what to do. Write it down this way. I wrote down this way. The clarity of your identity determines the clarity of your destiny. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And my question for you this morning is, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are, Ethan? Do you know who you are, Josue? Jared, do you know who you are? Not, not what's on your driver's license, not what's on your birth certificate, but do you really know who you are? Because listen, I am convinced as a pastor, most of you don't know who you are. Because if you knew who you are, you would, you would never date that non-believer. You would never think about quitting. You would never compromise your integrity for a few extra dollars. You would never give up when you experience failure because you know who you are. Let me prove it to you. I'm going to show you a picture in a moment of something that looks crazy. What is this? Is this something thieves use when they don't want their fingerprints on, on everything? Is this something girls use when they want to glue their eyelashes on so they don't get glue on their fingers? Is this something that, that people at the bank use because they have to handle money? They want paper cuts. On the count of three, shout out what you think this is. One, two, three. Come on, all of you are crazy. None of you know. Look at this next picture. Let me show you what it really is. They're fingers for chips. So when you're eating Doritos, you don't get the cheesiness on your fingers. Stupid, right? 
The moment you knew what it was, you knew its function. You knew its, once you knew its identity, you know what it's supposed to do. The problem is you don't know your identity. That's why you don't know what to do. And when you're born, by the way, there's not a label on your foot that says you're this. So what ends up happening is the loudest voice in your life. You're, 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 you're supposed to be an influencer. You're supposed to be a doctor. You're supposed to be this. And all these voices are in your life telling you who to be. Because your eyeballs are inside your head. And you can see everything and everyone except someone and something. And you're the last person to see who you really are. And I want to give you five voices in your life today that want to define your identity. But it can only come from the reflection of God. Y'all ready? This is a sermon for me. I hope it blesses you. Point number one. Someone say fathers. fathers. Now it's actually moms and dads, but all my points begin with the letter F, so I had to cut out the moms out. Just F for fathers. <laughs> Don't hate. But why are your parents so powerful? Because they're the one that gave birth to you. They're the one that raised you. They're the ones that know you the best. So of course sometimes we look to the ones that know us the best to help us who we are. But you cannot get your identity from your parents. Read with me. I, uh, Genesis chapter 35. As she breathed her last. Let me give you context. Some of you are new to the Bible. This is Genesis. This is the, the story of Abraham. Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob, he, he, he has two wives, Rachel and Leah. And, and he marries two sisters. All the single men are like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. No, bro, one is hard enough. Trust me. Every married man is like, amen. You're going to say it out loud because she's sitting next to you, but amen in your heart. Yeah, I got you. I know. But Rachel, when she's about to give birth a second time, she's about to die. And in her pain, look what she names her son. She named him her son Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. What a terrible name. Some of you have terrible names. Your name's Roberta, okay? Your dad's Robert. He just added an A to it. It's Roberta. As bad as that name, at least your name is not You Suck, right? Imagine if your parents named you You Suck Gonzalez or You Suck Ruhi or You Suck Sanchez. Thank God that's not your name. There's a comedian I heard one time. He talked about how he's growing up. He always thought his name was Jesus Christ, because he'd run around the house and he'd be like tearing up the house. Jesus Christ, slow down. He'd make a mess. Jesus Christ, clean this up. Him, his mom and his dad were about to get intimate. Jesus Christ, get out. <laughs> Listen, I'm not using the Lord's name in vain. He did. But the idea I'm trying to convince you of is sometimes the name that you hear most often in your home is not the name on your birth certificate. See, sticks and stones may break my bones, but we have this words will never hurt me. Yes, but they will define you. You heard lazy. You heard fat. You heard stupid. And it's labeled you, and your parents called you that. And Rachel has no right to call her son, son of my sorrow. What she's doing, though, is she's naming her son in her pain. Let me, I wrote down this way, it will help some of you forgive your parents. Some of the names your parents called you are not because of the problem you caused, but because of the pain they carried. The reason why your dad didn't love you is because he never had a dad. The reason why your mom pokes fun at your weight is because she's insecure about her weight. Sometimes the pain on the inside projects on our children. That's why you got to be very careful the words that you say to your kids after a long day at work. For you, it's just a word. For them, it's a label. It's a label that they carry. But I love how the story ends. It says, but his father named him Benjamin. Someone say Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. In Jewish culture, the mom had the right to name the child. 
And they never named the child on the first day they were born. And in America, we have the names picked out months in advance, right? Like we plan the gender reveal party, the baby shower. We already know the name we're going to share until the day of the birth. But in Jewish culture, you did not name the child until the eighth day. Because on the eighth day, what you did is you took the baby into the presence of God. And you circumcised the kid. And then you said, this, this baby belongs to you, Jesus. We're, we're dedicating this child to you. And what Rachel is doing is she's naming the kid on day one in her pain. And God's prophetically making this declaration. This is going to help some of you. It doesn't matter what your parents call you. It only matters what God calls you. And maybe you're called fat. It's not what God calls you. Maybe you're called stupid. It's not what God calls you. Maybe your parents said you're dumb, you're not good enough, you're lazy, you're good for nothing. But all those names are null and void until God shows up and says who you are. Why? Because the Bible is my reflection. And only the one who created you can name you. That's what this story is about. That yes, the mom named him in his pain. Yes, the mom said something in her pain. But only God can name you. That's why you can't get your identity from your parents. You can only get it from God. Only get it from God. Number two, the second thing is function. Someone say function. If I went around this room and asked what everyone did, what, what's your job? Most of you would say this, I am blank. I am a techie. I am a doctor. I am a writer. Which is interesting because writing is what you do, but writing is not who you are. What you're really saying is now your job is your identity. That, that's often what we do because often in our culture, we know so much about you from your job. Like your job will tell us your, your socioeconomic status, your, how much education you have, you know, how much wealth you have. And often when you have a great job, it's really nice to say, I'm a doctor. That's why every, all the moms and dads are like, I want you to be a doctor, a lawyer, or engineer. They ruin it for everyone. Come on. <laughs> Listen, we love all the doctors and lawyers and engineers in the church. You can keep the doors open. We love you. I'm not saying anything negative. Come on. But sometimes they, they ruin it for the rest of us. Because you, can, you know someone's status in, in society from their function. And so often we, we spend so much time at work, our job becomes our identity. But what do you do when the 40 million Americans last year who lost their job? See, some of them didn't just lose a paycheck. They lost their identity. They lost who they were because their job was who they were. I remember the first two years of this church. We're about to be four. The first two years of the church, I was vastly underpaid before all the doctors and lawyers came. <laughs> and every month, Pastor Yaz and my witness, we were growing in debt every month. And the hope was that the church would grow so that we would come out because I left engineering and became a pastor. But the board, our elders, would not raise my salary. So there was this pressure that every month, imagine it, not for like four months, for 24 months it kept growing. And it got to the point where like, man, I got to go get a second job. I remember talking to Pastor Yaz, like all the, almost every week there was so much pressure. I need to go Uber. I need to go, let me go to Starbucks because you're spending enough money there. Oh my God, every morning. And there was this voice like, if you go be a barista, you're going to lose your calling. And it's like, no, I don't need a pulpit to have purpose. I don't need a microphone to be a minister. And you, you put that Starbucks hat on me, I'm going to put John 3 in every cup. And when I hand it to you, I'm like, my pleasure. It's not Chick-fil-A. I'm going to bring that spirit here. <laughs> Because my job doesn't define me. Even when it's awesome, some of you need to hear that. You are not a doctor or a lawyer. You are who God says that you are. That's what you do. That's how you make money. That's how you make a paycheck. That's not why you, your job is how you make a living. It's not why you're living. But what about if you, your job sucks? What if it's not the job that you dreamed of? See, some of you beat yourself up because you hate your job. Does that mean you hate yourself? Some of you are like, yes, I hate myself, Pastor Ali. 
Maybe some of you in this room sell insurance. Maybe some of you in this room, you flip hamburgers. And there's no shame in that because you are not your job, whether it's good or bad. That pays the bills. That puts food on the table. You are not your job. You are not your function. You are not what you do. You are who God says that you are, and which is why I want to show you this picture. These are some of my favorite people in the church. I know it's a, a difficult picture to see, but on the left-hand corner, you see the back, someone's shoulder. That is Ricardo. Can we give it up for Ricardo this morning? Then there's that girl in front of the camera, in front of the computer on the left. Her name is Rachel. Someone say, yay, Rachel. Then sitting next to her is Millie. Somebody shout out for Millie. Yeah. And then there is Dalen staying in the back. Maybe you can't see her, but she's the only person on staff. Dalen's the only one on staff who knows how to do live streaming. Because all those that watch it online, hello to YouTube right now. Uh, you can watch online right now because of these people. You show them some love online in the chat room right now. Come on. But the point is, I'm trying to make is none of these people other than Dalen work on live streaming. None of them work in production. That's why our live stream goes out sometimes. I'm not saying anything now. Come on. But the point is, none of them have this job. So why are they doing this? Because their identity is servant. Not accountant, not graphic designer, not, not doctor, lawyer, whatever. That's not their identity. Their identity is adopted by God, child of God. They're grateful for what God did. So they want to face, thank you to Jesus for all that he did by serving him. Some of you need to hear this. Some of you have allowed Apple and Google and Facebook to define you. You, you, you walk around saying you are a product manager. You are not who Apple says that you are. Let me write it down this way. Some of this is going to be your tattoo. Don't confuse your job description with your definition. You are not your job title. You are not your, what you do for a living. You are greater than that. See, when God, you stand before God in the end of time, he's going to say, good and faithful servant. He's not going to say, good and faithful doctor, good and faithful accountant, good and faithful graphic designer, good and faithful servant, which is why I'm so grateful for the, the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, a guy named Paul. He's an, he, he often describes himself as, I'm Paul, the apostle called by God. And he never once talks about his vocation. You know what his vocation was? Because he, he didn't have doctors and lawyers in his church, so he had to be bivocational. He was a tent maker. And he didn't even talk about it. Someone else wrote about it in Acts 18 that Paul was a tent maker. Isn't it interesting? The guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament never talked about his vocation. Because some of you are defining yourself by your job. You are greater than your job, and you are greater than what your father and mother call you. And number three, you are greater than your feelings. You are not your feelings. I wrote it down this way. Write this. Think about this. You are... Not what you feel you are, even though you feel you are it. <laughs> Have you ever looked at the time and it lied to you? Like, there's no way. And your brain explodes. <laughs> there's no way. Like, maybe you're like me, you, you watched Endgame, the last movie in the Marvel Universe. You're like, oh my gosh, I gotta see the other 21 movies. So you did it in like two days. And it's 1.30 in the morning. It's like, oh my God, how is it 1.30? It doesn't feel like 1.30. Because even though it doesn't feel like it, doesn't change the fact that it's true. Because you cannot be led by your feelings. And uh, this last summer, my, my two girls, I got two girls, a five-year-old and a two-year-old. They, they go to private school, and they were off for July, which meant mom and dad had to put them in front of the TV, in front of YouTube with a bag of chips, and they'd watch while we try to work. <laughs> but on Tuesday, they realized we can't just give them eight hours of TV a day. We've got to actually be real parents. And how about we do something productive? How about we go outside and play for a little bit? Like things that they used to do a generation before, before everyone's just like this. You feeling convicted? I know. <laughs> so, so I put a timer on and said, girls, no more TV until the timer goes off. 
how long, Dad? Oh, my God, no. <laughs> One hour. And then we can go back and watch TV. So I put the timer on. And no joke, it's like 12 minutes. My daughter comes like, oh, my God. It's been forever, Dad. They, can I watch TV now? I'm like, honey, it's only been 12. She doesn't know what 12. It's only been 12 minutes. It feels like an hour. And some of you, you're being led by your feelings. Gideon did not feel strong. He did not feel like a mighty warrior. He felt inadequate. He felt, un, felt unqualified. He felt he didn't have it. But God says he's this. And so many of you disqualify yourselves, not because of God's calling on your life, not because God what says you are, but because of your feelings. Listen, you may never feel qualified. Listen, there are many days I'm up here, I'm like, why the heck am I up here? I don't feel like a pastor. I don't feel like a church planner. But I, I do it not based on my feelings, but based on what calls me. Your father doesn't define you. Your function doesn't define you. Your feelings don't define you. Number four, failure. Somebody shout failures. Failures. The dude in the Bible, his name is Thomas. For those of you in the new church, that's not what we call him in church. We have another name for Thomas. What what do we call him in church? Doubting Doubting Thomas. Why? Because when Jesus died on Friday and resurrected on Sunday, he was the only dude who didn't see Jesus resurrected. He's like, I don't believe. So I stick my finger in his hole. Then I'll believe. And he doubted. One time. One time he doubted. And now forever he's known as Doubting Thomas. You know why? Because people will remember you by your failures. By your failures. It was interesting, though, because there's another story in the Bible about Thomas, where he's a G, where he does something none of the other disciples do. John chapter 11, go with me right here. Uh, verses 10 and 11. See, Jesus is, is, is with his disciples and he's really close with his other family, Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. Lazarus has died. He had COVID, didn't have the vaccine, he's gone. And Martha and Mary are like, you gotta come back. We don't have the vaccine here. You, you gotta come resurrect him. But the issue is if Jesus goes to Bethany, there are haters in Bethany that wanna kill Jesus. So if he goes and resurrects, he's risking not only his life, but his disciples' lives. And John, Lazarus says this, Jesus straightened up, oh, I'm sorry. Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Why don't we call him dying Thomas? Why don't we call him ride or die Thomas? Because people will remember you by your mistakes, not your successes. They remember you by your failures. That's why even if you, you get a divorce and you remarry and God restores your life, you're always Devante the divorcee. That's why when you go to prison and God gives you the second chance and you restore your life, you're con or the ex-con. See, this culture does what's called cancel culture. They want to label you by your failure. They want to label you by your mistakes, and they never want to let you forget. Thomas should not be called Doubting Thomas. That's our humanity. We want to label him and give him an identity, and the world has done that with you by your failures. You may have made a mistake, but you're not a mistake. You may have failed, but you're not a failure. Look what Jesus does with this woman in John chapter 8, verse 10. Jesus straightened up and asked her. What Jesus is doing is, there are these, he's, he's at church in the morning, and the, the Pharisees bring this half-naked woman. She's got a towel around her waist. She's, she got caught in the act of adultery. And they want to stone her to death. And they're looking at Jesus. The law says that if you commit adultery, you're supposed to be stoned. And then Jesus writes that on the ground. The Bible doesn't say what he's writing, but he's writing. 
Some think it's maybe Jeremiah that God writes your sin in the dust when he returns. and We don't know. I think, this is my personal theory, that Jesus started writing the, the names of the side chicks these guys were sleeping with. Donna in Vegas. Becky with the good hair. And the dudes were like, oh, I'm out of here. And they just walk away. One by one, they all drop their stones and they leave. And look what Jesus says to this. It's interesting, though, that the Bible doesn't name this woman. She's known as the adulterous woman. If you go to your Bible in John chapter 8, there are these subheadings, which is crazy because the original authors didn't write them. They, they were added in the 12th century. Your verses were added in the 15th century. But in John chapter 8, there's a subtitle above John chapter 8, and it says this. The woman caught in adultery. She's labeled by her mistake. But that's not who she is. Because look what Jesus says to her. Jesus is going to give her a new identity. Woman, where are they? No one has condemned you. No, sir, she said. And neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. I wrote it down this way. Failure is what you did. Forgiven is who you are. We should talk to the people that wrote the Bible. and We should say, you got to change that from the adulterous woman to the forgiven woman. That's what her identity is. Your identity is not a failure. It's something you, you, you do. It's not a place that you live in. The righteous man falls down seven times. That means he fails, but he gets back up. Amen? Your father doesn't define you. Your function does not define you. Your feelings don't define you. And faults. Someone say faults. Your faults don't define you. There's a difference between faults and failures. Failures are your mistake. Faults are not your fault. Like, for example, there's a dude in the Bible who's got a crippled hand. He was born that way. That ain't his fault. There's a a woman with an issue of blood. She bleeds for 12 years, and Jesus heals her miraculously. That's not her fault. In our culture, we have people who are in wheelchairs, and often we don't even see the person. All we see is the wheelchair. We see the person by their fault, and we label them. And sometimes we label ourselves by our lack. I'm not tall enough. I'm not, I don't have the right skin color. I'm not smart enough. I don't come from the right family. All the faults that we have no control over. It's not a failure. Like I didn't even know I was a minority until someone at school pointed out. I'm like, oh, okay. And sometimes we limit ourselves. We identify ourselves with our faults. And there's a story that's so powerful in John chapter 1, this is John the Baptist, and I'm praying this ministers to you. Now, this was John's testimony. Testimony is what God has done in your life. When the, when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, because this dude was the number one dude on, on YouTube. His sermons were the number one download on Spotify. Everyone, this dude preached in the desert with no microphone, and people were coming out. Crowds, thousands of people. How in the world did you do this? Who are you? He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Messiah. Notice he identifies by what he's not. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? I am not. Are you a prophet? He answered, no. Another way of saying that, I am not the Messiah. I am not Elijah. I am not a prophet. Isn't it so interesting? He's identifying himself by all of his faults, all the things that he's not, the things that we're embarrassed to talk about, the things that we hide, the things that that we think limit us. A wheelchair does not limit you. Your, Your skin color does not limit you. Your gender does not limit you. 
but we think it does. And he's, he's declaring the reason this crowd is so big is not because I'm special, but because he is. But because he is. I wrote down this way. My faults are not my identity. They are my testimony. They are my testimony. The reason why God did it, even though I'm a minority, is because he's powerful. The reason why God did it, even though I'm a woman, is because he's awesome. The reason why God did it, even though I'm in a wheelchair, is because he's strong. The reason why God did it, even though I don't have the education, the degree, the money, the background, the family, because my God is big and mighty. Amen? And even though I may be limited, even though I have faults, my faults are not my identity. Gideon saw himself as the smallest, not only in his family, but in his country. And God had to change his mindset. Stop seeing yourself as weak. Stop seeing yourself as a coward. You are who I say that you are. The Bible says that I'm strong, then Gideon, you are who I say that you are. If it's true, then it's a reflection. And who it says you are is also true. I'm going to teach, tell you two things the Bible tells you today. Number one, when you look at the Word of God, let me grab the Bible. I'm going to tell you two things. One of them you're going to love. One of them you're going to be upset with. Send me an email. I'll delete it. <laughs> the first thing it's going to tell you is you're not perfect. So that's what mirrors do. They tell you when you got a pimple. They tell you when you got to clip your nose hairs. Tell you when your hair's bad. Because the reality is you did not wake up like this. You guys took showers, you shaved, you brushed your teeth. You put in effort. Because if you didn't, we would all notice. You know what I'm saying? Why? Because you're not perfect. You did not wake up like this. Isn't it interesting that we don't get angry at the mirror when it tells us who we are, but when the Bible says it. If it's my reflection, I need it to tell me who I am. I need it to tell me that I'm not perfect, that I'm not a snowflake. Second thing, though, it tells me, and you're going to love this, is that you're perfect. And it's the tension of both that you're not and you are at the exact same time. That when I look in the mirror, you know what I see? I see the kid with disabilities. I see the kid that got married at 23 and his wife left him at 24. I saw the kid who was addicted to alcohol, who was addicted to porn. That's, that's what I see in the mirror. But God doesn't see that. God sees something totally different. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by one sacrifice, someone say one sacrifice. He has made perfect. That's past tense, by the way. That means when I look in the mirror, I may see me. But because of him, that's what God sees now. See, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that I could become the righteousness of God. He's perfect, and I'm not. 
But when I place my faith in him, he becomes my perfection. And then he dies for my lack of perfection. So now when I look in the mirror and say, I'm weak, God says, but I'm in you, so you're strong. When I look in the mirror and say, I'm addicted, God says, I'm your freedom. When I look in the mirror and say, I'm insecure, God says, but I'm, I'm secure. When I look in the mirror and say, I'm not enough, he says, but I'm the God of enough. When I look in the mirror and say, I can't do it, God says, I can. And even though I look in the mirror and I feel weak, and my dad says I'm weak, and my function says I'm weak, and my failures tell me that I'm not, the Bible, if it's true, then what it says about me is true too. And he says I'm a mighty warrior. And that's what God's saying about you today. And bow your heads and close your eyes. Let me pray for you. God, I pray for every person in this room that each and every one of us, all of us are carrying insecurities, things that need to be broken today in the name of Jesus. Some of us have heard things from our parents that you're ugly, you're fat, and say we're going to forgive them and move on because our parents cannot name us, only you can name us, God. Some of us, we have defined ourselves by our function, our job, whether it's a doctor, a lawyer, or techie, whatever. We take pride in our job. We take pride in our job description. We take pride in our salary. You are not your function. And some of us have, have been ashamed of who we are because of our job. We are not our jobs. We are who you say you are. And some of us have held ourselves back because of our feelings. Because we don't feel strong. We don't feel smart. We don't feel qualified. We may never feel it, God. But I am who you say I am. And even when I don't feel like a mighty warrior, I'm going to believe it when you say that I am. Some of us, we have defined our lives by our failures. By the ways that we've fallen on our face. By the ways that we've messed up. And every time we look in the mirror, we see the miscarriage. We see the abortion. We see the divorce. We see the one night stand. We see the drug addiction. We see the porn. And that's not how you see us, God. Let us put down the luggage of our failures and rise with Christ in who you called us to be. God, you have given me an identity as a child of God, called, anointed, powerful. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. That you have my back that you will never leave me or forsake me, that the best is yet to come because you sold Gideon, I'm with you. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. It doesn't matter if I'm walking through cancer, God, you're with me. Even though I feel afraid, I'm strong because you're right next to me. Some of you in this room, this is a holy moment. This is the moment of your salvation. As God has been ministering to some of you in this room, some of you, you have not started yet a relationship with Jesus so that when you look in the mirror, you don't see yourself anymore. You see God in you. This God who died for you on a cross. This God who became a man and lived a sinless and perfect life and paid your and I penalty of sin. And you don't need to do anything. You need to simply believe and place your faith in that God. And he wants to give you an identity because when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. With every eye closed, every head bowed. If that's you this morning, you want to place your faith in Jesus for the first time today. Would you please raise your hand? You're not saying yes to me. You're not saying yes to this church. You're saying yes to the living God. Put your hand down. Just pray this prayer in your heart. Thank you, Jesus, that you left heaven and that you died for me. 
God, I need an identity. Why did you make me? Tell me who I am. And when I know who I am, I'll know what to do. I place my faith in you, Jesus. I place my hope in you, Jesus. I want to follow you all the days of my life. And everybody said, amen. Let me quickly pray for our offering. It's a time in our church where worship is not just the songs that we sing. It's a lifestyle. And we want to worship God with our life. And we are four years old next week. And uh, we create this church not only for Christians to grow in their faith, but for unchurched people to explore their faith. So if you're new, you don't have to give. We want to pray for the offering. Because we've seen over 200 people receive Christ in this church in three short years. So let me pray real quick for the offering. That God would use it to make his name known in the valley. That they don't know who they are. God, thank you for this worship. God, thank you for our jobs. Thank you for our paycheck. Thank you that our, the way we make a living is not why we're living. That our job doesn't define us. You define us, God. That I may be a teacher. I may be a doctor. I may be a lawyer. I may be a creative person, but that's not who I am. Thank you, God, for this money. I want to offer it back to you as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. And everybody said... Thanks so much for listening. We hope this message impacted you and inspires you to draw closer to Jesus. Subscribe to this podcast and give us a follow on Instagram at Centerset Church to keep up with all that God is doing in our community. Also, we'd love to be in prayer with you. If you have any prayer requests, please send them to info at centerset.church.